You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Your host is Dr. Todd A. Marr, Director of Pediatric Allergy Immunology at Gunderson Lutheran Medical Center in La Crosse, Wisconsin. What are some common causes of chronic cough in adults? How can physicians assess chronic cough and determine appropriate management strategies? Joining us to discuss chronic cough in adults is Dr. Jason Knuffman, practicing allergist in the Department of Allergy at Gunderson Lutheran Health Systems in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Welcome, Dr. Knuffman. My pleasure, Dr. Marr. Jason, what is a cough? A cough is really the body's protective mechanism for clearing the tracheobronchial tree of secretions and foreign material so that they do not irritate more distal places in the airway. So then where would we be worried about a chronic cough? Chronic cough is really defined as a cough that lasts more than eight weeks. A little bit less than that, we call it subacute cough. And of course, the cough that lasts less than three weeks is usually associated with colds and other things such as that. But really what we're talking about with chronic cough is that that really lingers on past a couple of months. Okay, so we've got a patient, they've had a cough for more than eight weeks. What's the most common causes of chronic cough in adults? So certainly on the adult side, the three most common causes would be that of post-nasal drip syndrome, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and asthma. Again, most common causes being in the patient who is a non-smoker, who has a normal chest x-ray and is not taking an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor. Those would be the most common causes in adults. So other causes then would be what, just for our listeners? Other causes beyond that would be obviously smoking as a cause of cough, if that's present at all. Chronic cough certainly can be the case with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, certain types of interstitial lung diseases. If you have left ventricular failure, heart failure, that can lead to chronic cough, essentially. Other things that are a little bit more unusual as a cause of chronic cough would be the habit or psychogenic cough, as well as tick cough. And there are a few others, again, that are a little bit less common than that. But the three most common causes, again, are postnasal drip syndrome, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and asthma. So as we then look at a chronic cough that's been there for longer than eight weeks, how do we actually investigate this cough? What should we do? Well, I think first it's important to recognize that the diagnosis of which one of these three is causing the chronic cough, if it's the most common three causes, is really established on the basis of which specific therapy eliminates the cough. So if by a good history and physical exam, if you can determine that, again, in the non-smoking patient who has a normal chest X-ray, they seem that they have a lot of heartburn, you may want to address that first. Probably if you took all comers, and again, this is difficult to prove by studying the problem, if you took all comers, though, post-nasal drip syndrome certainly has to be thought of first and foremost. Beyond that, the chest X-ray can help you out, decipher if there's anything obvious, such as a tumor or other abnormality there. After that point, if you still haven't found an answer with an X-ray, really trying to do combination therapy with reflux, considering asthma, and then post-nasal drip syndrome. So when you're considering asthma as a cause of chronic cough, what are some of the challenges for primary care providers? What should they do with evaluation and then with treatment? Sure. So obviously your evaluation starts with a really good history. You want to find out about the quality of the cough. Is there a lot of sputum that's produced? 
are they having fevers or other signs or symptoms that suggest pneumonia or some other process such as that. A good physical exam, of course, is very important as well, listening to all lung fields. Asthma is assessed by a number of ways, but one that I like to do is a subjective questionnaire that the patient fills out, how well their asthma is being controlled, how well they think it's being controlled. Of course, you can do spirometry, looking before and after bronchodilator administration. Oftentimes, patients that have asthma will have other symptoms as well, such as wheezing and coughing, chest tightness. There's a subset of cough variant asthmatics that really have cough as their primary symptom. So there's a few things that you have to look at from the standpoint of asthma. If you really think that there is a low possibility of asthma, you could consider doing a test such as a methacholine challenge, which has a pretty good negative predictive value in evaluating chronic cough patients. But really after that, the treatment relies on inhaled or even systemic corticosteroids, or at least a short course of systemic corticosteroids. And then if that seems to correct the problem, you can follow the NAEPP guideline-based therapy after that. Well, earlier when we were talking about the other causes, you mentioned ACE inhibitors. So how common is that cough with ACE inhibitors? Sure. So the incidence of ACE inhibitor-induced cough is approximately anywhere from 5 to 20%. And these are patients that typically are going to present with the onset of cough within a few weeks, up to six months after being started on one of these medications. There's a number of these medications out there, and they've been used for a long time. Certainly their utility, rather, in diabetes and chronic kidney disease has been well established. We think that a trial of about a month off of one of these ACE inhibitors, if a cough had occurred, would be sufficient to make this diagnosis. So one month off should probably tell people. What about angiotensin II receptor blockers? Do they cause cough? Well, there's some data to suggest that they really do not. There was a study in the Journal of Hypertension back about 10 or 12 years ago that looked at about 100 non-smokers with challenge-proven ACE inhibitor cough. They were then put into a double-blinded, randomized, parallel group study. This was done in 20 hypertension clinics in 11 countries. And these patients were then randomized to either start Losartan, which is an angiotensin II antagonist, or lisinopril, or hydrochlorothiazide. And they took this therapy once daily for a maximum of eight weeks. And what we saw was really the patients that were put back on the ACE inhibitor lisinopril at 20 milligrams a day they, again, had the cough resurface, of course, in the majority of those patients. But the patients that were put on Losartan, 50 milligrams daily, or onto hydrochlorothiazide, 25 milligrams daily, really we saw no difference in the cough between those latter two groups, which would suggest that really the angiotensin II antagonists do not cause cough any more than hydrochlorothiazide, a blood pressure medication that we typically do not associate with chronic cough. So the data there would suggest that the answer to your question would be no. Angiotensin II inhibitors do not cause cough necessarily. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Marr, and joining me to discuss chronic cough in adults is Dr. Jason Knuffman, practicing allergist in the Department of Allergy at Gunderson Lutheran Health Systems in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Dr. Knuffman, what are some of the common management pitfalls that primary care providers should maybe look for in trying to avoid in working up or managing the patient with chronic cough? Sure. So this is obviously one of the most common complaints that the primary care provider is going to see in his or her office during the course of a day or a week. When we're looking at common pitfalls, I think probably the biggest one would be 
to fail to really recognize that two or even three of these problems can co-occur. Post-nasal drip can be a syndrome of cough and phlegm production. It's not always pneumonia or chronic bronchitis. It can simply be that of post-nasal drip. Failure to consider that a patient has a chronic sinus infection as the cause of that post-nasal drip that might be more amenable to antimicrobial therapy is also another common pitfall. Of course, you want to identify any sort of allergic or atopic condition that's creating post-nasal drainage as well, and that should be evaluated for, certainly. As far as asthma, it also is an entity that can be really presenting as a syndrome of cough and phlegm production as well. Typically, not a lot of thick, tenacious phlegm, at first anyway, but certainly it has to be considered even if there is a lot of colorful sputum. Then if you look at testing for chronic cough, I mentioned a methicoline challenge earlier. I think probably the biggest common pitfall with a patient who actually has a positive methicoline challenge, we don't want to assume that that's necessarily diagnostic of asthma. Many conditions can create a positive methicoline challenge, asthma being one of them. So I think you have to use your testing in the correct light as well. As far as reflux is concerned, you want to also identify these patients that have what I call presumed or silent reflux. And this can be empirically treated, really. And in fact, a course anywhere from three to six months on an H2 blocker or a proton pump inhibitor is very reasonable if someone has a chronic unexplained cough that, again, we feel that we have tried to address the drainage and possible asthma topics on their differential diagnosis. So you also want to enlist the help of your gastroenterology colleagues if you feel that there is simply refractory reflux that cannot be dealt with with medications alone. Those are probably some of the most common pitfalls. That's great. We've mentioned a variety of different testing. Let's summarize it for our listeners. What would be the useful testing for patients with chronic cough? Not that everybody needs all of these tests, but what are some of the things they should keep in the back of their mind as they're seeing that patient with chronic cough? Sure. I think over the course of the first one or even two visits, if you're addressing the chronic cough issue and the problem does not seem to be responsive to usual therapies such as a inhaled nasal medication, an antihistamine, an asthma medication, something along those lines, I think after that initial assessment, a chest x-ray really is your best initial screen for any sort of parenchymal disease. Again, a normal or stable chest x-ray in a patient who is immune competent really means that you're on the right track as far as treating them for one of those three common causes of chronic cough. After that, I would say that if you have a strong suspicion that there is an asthmatic process co-occurring or going on in this particular patient, if they have the usual triggers for asthma, if there are other historical features that the patient has that are suggestive of asthma, but perhaps they have normal spirometry, that's when I would consider a methicoline challenge. As I mentioned, a methicoline challenge really is meant to identify airway hyperresponsiveness. It has a very good negative predictive value for asthma. So in other words, if you have a negative test of a methicoline challenge, it's likely not thought to be asthma necessarily. Methicoline is an airway irritant. And so patients who are otherwise non-asthmatic and don't have some of the other lower airway irritating type conditions such as uh, cigarette smoke exposure or chronic postnasal drip that's bothersome, they should be the ones that if they have a negative test, you can be fairly reassured that they do not have asthma. This is administered in a controlled setting where increasing doses of a chemical called methicoline, which is a synthetic analog of acetylcholine, is administered to the patient. And again, 
patients who have asthma certainly retain that airway hyperresponsiveness that methacholine essentially causes them to drop their lung function. And again, this is easily reversed by albuterol, again, in a controlled setting, and it gives you some very valuable information in the right clinical setting. So methacholine, CT scan of the sinuses, and then I think you talked about GERD. What's the best thing for working up a cough with GERD? When we look at patients who have heartburn and other symptoms consistent with GERD, this is where I do like to enlist the help of my gastroenterology colleagues. They can do tests looking at the acidity of the esophagus with a test called an esophageal pH probe study, either while they're on therapy or while they're off therapy with medicines such as a proton pump inhibitor. If they're on a therapy with such a medication that should be stopping this reflux, the thinking is that they have reflux that may be amenable to more of a procedural or surgical approach, and other comorbidities such as Barrett's esophagus also would be thought of at that point in time. So if refractory reflux is the case, and again by refractory I mean not responsive to a histamine-type 2 blocker or a proton pump inhibitor, I really like to enlist the help of my gastroenterology colleagues. What about induced sputum? Where does that help you? Well, induced sputum is a procedure that's very commonly used in the research setting to quantify changes that occur in patients who have and who do not have asthma and other uh, chronic lung conditions. Probably the induced sputum test would be used infrequently in the management, at least up front, of chronic cough. But in some patients, and in fact up to 13% of chronic cough cases, there is an entity called non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis. Now, this is a little bit different from asthma in that airway hyperresponsiveness, such as would be measured on a methacholine challenge, is really not present. These patients, however, if you did do an induced sputum test, you would find eosinophils present by special staining. And they will also, accordingly, be very responsive to a course of inhaled or even systemic corticosteroids. So if there is a positive therapeutic response, this could certainly be on your differential. Distinguish it from asthma itself, which is also associated with eosinophils, could be a bit more difficult. But again, the main difference between the asthma and this non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis would be the bronchial hyperresponsiveness found more in the asthma patients. Dr. Knuffman, thank you for being our guest this week on Hot Topics in Allergy. My pleasure, Dr. Marr. You've been listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit ACAAI.org. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.